0: This is the very last sermon in the Images of Jesus series, number 43. Anybody excited? I am. That is a a lot of excitement from somebody who doesn't typically show excitement very much. That's fantastic. Thank you, Rachel. That is fabulous. Uh, Mike, next week I want you to be the one to... Give us the woohoo. Can you handle that for me? All right. Good deal. So we are in Mark chapter 16, uh, starting with verse 14 tonight. Um, Let me read those verses. We're going to go through the end of the chapter. Since it is the last sermon in Mark, I thought it'd be good to go to the end of Mark. Good idea? That's why I'm a pastor. I come up with those ideas. Really good ideas. Not even a Mercy, chuckle. Verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, and verse 15 is where we will camp and land most of tonight. This is it. Uh, He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Not going to spend much time on this verse, but I want to say something real quick. Um, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And church, in this culture, in this age, it's not very cool to speak about this word condemned, but the truth of the matter is if you believe in Christ, you're going to be saved. You don't believe in Christ, you're going to be condemned to live in eternity separate from him for the rest of your life and affected only by evil in a place that we call hell. Um, pretty spend much time there because verse 15 has, has so much of, of what I want to get into. Uh, verse 17, And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, and they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents in their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will... Recover. Uh, Sort of crazy stuff happening in those two verses. Uh, Again, not going to spend much time on it, but I want to lay some stuff out for you here. Verse 17 and 18, they talk about picking up snakes and drinking poison and laying hands on sick and they will recover. Um, These things, uh, Jesus is not talking generally here. We know from reading uh, historical church documents that those immediately following Christ, not the ones that chronicle in, in Scripture, but those immediately following Christ, in the ancient documents that we see for them, there were times even uh, church fathers would unwittingly or unknowingly drink poison or be forced to drink poison for for claiming the name of Jesus, and they would not die. There's, there's five or six instances of that in, in ancient history. So it's not like... It's not... This isn't for us to test God. This is for us to understand that God is protecting his own. If there is a a circumstantial case, God will allow some provision and protection, and he did in the ancient church history. Uh, all, All those things that are there. Then verse 19, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed The message by accompanying signs. Um, These are the last words of Jesus. It's it's interesting to note that. Jesus spends three years on this planet intense ministry, ministering specifically to a small group of people, his 12 disciples and then a, a slightly larger group, those that follow him, some of the women that were involved and then encountered large groups of people. He spent three years establishing himself as victor over death and disease and and controlling nature and teaching and preaching and all these things. And the last thing that he leaves his people with are these words. And that's what we're going to get to. The the mission that he leaves for them is is in verse verse 15. Uh, And then he's ascended into heaven. Really powerful to think that these disciples are gathered around Jesus, and he's been alive for a few weeks after his death, and he's, he's shown himself to them and taught them and been around them, and he rebukes them for not believing here, and then he, he leaves them with these words, and then he ascends into heaven. Uh, these words have to ring true, have to ring powerful. And the thing that, that I, I want to kind of overwhelm this message is this, um, I think there is, especially for, for the male, but I think for everybody, there is an intense desire in all of us to be a part of something that's bigger than us. Um, it's part of the draw for me to have left the job that I left to go and plant this church. And, and I think for some of you even that have been a part of the, the core since the beginning, is, is to be a part of something that's bigger than you. You see so much for what church could be and so much purpose for what what this could be, and and so we draw together to do things a little bit differently and and enjoy the depth of that. But at the heart of of every one of us is a desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that is what this call is. And I want to... This is a, a huge, huge thing. Jesus comes... All of the, the course of the redemptive plan of God throughout the course of history, since Eve and, and Adam broke the commands of the Lord until this point leading up to this, it's been God's plan to, for, for him to point to Jesus in the Old Testament, and then for Jesus to come and live this perfect life and teach all these things and gather a bunch of followers and then to die and then to resurrect and then to ascend to heaven and leave this task, this mission... With a few people, not this massive number of Jesus spoke to thousands of people at a time, but when he ascended into heaven, he's speaking to twelve people to leave this task here's something for you to be big to, to be a part of that's so much bigger than yourself and I, and I hope that 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 thought turns you on and excites you to, to think that Jesus is calling us here in North County of St. Louis to something bigger than ourselves, and he's banded us together. We've spent, most of the people in this room, we've spent three years together living life up close and and, and communing with each other and communing with God, and the community is, is, has been really good, but God has called us to a mission apart from that, something bigger than the collective, and that something bigger than the collective is here in verse 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Before we get into the heart of that, I want to I want to mention something. If you have uh, an ESV, and there's a couple of standard uh, versions of the Bible that, that say this, after verse 8, it's bracketed with these words. Some of the earliest manuscripts of Mark do not include chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, the verses that we just read. I want to get to the heart of that. Um, all of the New Testament, all of the Old Testament for that matter, and all of the writings of of historians like Josephus and Tacitus and all the the, the writings of Plato and Aristotle and Homer and, and all of scripture, we don't have any original manuscripts for any of that. Like the, the actual paper that Mark wrote his gospel on, we don't have it. We have copies of it, and so there are textual critics, guys whose job it is to go and research archaeologically and, and research historically to be sure that what we have attributed to Mark and attributed to, to the historians like Josephus and Tacitus and the the fictional writers like Homer and Aristotle and Plato, the, their philosophical writers, was actually what they wrote. And there are several different tests that they apply to to their writings, their copies of their writings, to find out whether or not it was what they wrote. Um, we have seven copies. Tacitus, you, you may have heard of Tacitus. He's a he's a historic historian of of around this time, and and he documents a lot of the stuff that happened in. Uh, inside Bible times and then outside of the history of of the Roman Empire. Tacitus writes a lot about that. He's got lots of followings of what he's written. We have seven copies of Tacitus' writings. We have more than 13,000 copies of Mark's writings. That's a great proof that what Mark wrote is what we, we read here today. And so there's lots of different tests that are applied to that, and several of them Mark stands up to. Uh, In verses 9 through 20, most of the copies that we have are, are there. And so this verses 9 through 20 are there. It's the oldest ones that we don't have, which is another one of the tests, is how close to the original writings. And Mark wrote his gospel around 57 A.D., most scholars believe. And the oldest copy we have is around 100 A.D. So it's, it's a mere 43 years away from when he wrote it. Most of Tacitus' stuff, most of Plato's stuff are 150, 200 years away from when they wrote their stuff. You follow that? Which is why that this has come under consideration because those that are, that the copies of Mark that we have from around 100 AD don't include these 11 verses that we just read. It's only 50, 60, 70 years later that those verses show up. And, Historians have believed that this would have been the very last page. Verses nine through twenty would have been a single page that could have been left out very easily, which is why most scholars attribute these verses, these eleven verses, that yeah, Mark probably did actually write these. I have two really close friends of mine that are uh, historical scholars, uh, a guy named Bill and a guy named Alvin, and and they come down on different sides. Bill doesn't believe Mark wrote verses nine through twenty. Alvin does. They're doctoral historians of Scripture and New Testament theology, and so they they come down on different sides. But one of the other tests that we can apply are what did the early church fathers do with these verses? So we do have perfect writings, we do have original writings from the early church fathers from around 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 AD. So they were, and we have their sermons and the things that they preached and the things that they taught and they taught and preached from these 11 verses. So that gives us more credibility to these 11 verses. It's only within the last 100 years or so that historians have begun to say, not real sure about 9 through 20 because of the the availability of of testing for the different documents. That's all the history that that you need to know uh, about this. But the other thing to, to note is that even if Mark 16, 9 through 20, Mark didn't write these, Everything that appears here also appears in Matthew and Luke and in the book of Acts. So what we see here and what we read here and study and the things that we can gather and glean from this to, to apply to our lives here also come from other parts of Scripture. So we can be confident that this is the breathed word of God that he intends for our lives to have and know. So that is the the, the history that that you need to know about, about these places. So let's dig into... Um, verse 15. We'll spend the rest of our time tonight digging into to this one verse. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I talked a second ago about this idea of wanting to be a part of something bigger than us. Here it is. And and the, the thing that I want I've said and I'm going to reiterate is that this is Jesus Christ, less than Two minutes from his ascension. These are the last words that are going to be left with his people with the greatest message ever. God has has foreseen all of the events in all of the course of history to happen for this moment, for these people to get and to understand these words. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I want us to get into the the depth of this. Go into all the world. Acts 1.8. I said that all these, these verses here are mentioned elsewhere. Acts 1.8 says basically the same thing. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. First he says, go into all the world, and then he says, go into to these particular places. Jerusalem for these guys, that's where they are. They're in Jerusalem. That's Ferguson. And then he says go into Judea. Judea is the region that they're in. Maybe the, the Missouri, Illinois, bi-state, or maybe Midwestern region for us. And then he says Samaria, and Samaria is an, also a surrounding region, but it's a region that is populated by people that, that the Jews just don't like. Samari, Samarian people, Samaritans, are, are people that the Jews do not associate with. So it's a call for us to connect with people around us, and then in the region around us, and even those in the region around us that we just don't like or, or don't really typically associate with, or there's some racism that we feel towards people or, or some sort of issue that we have. And then finally, it says here, to, to the end of the earth. And I want to talk just for a second about what this means this call for us to, to get deep into, into what it means. And it's, I think it's for us looking at the totality of the Scripture looking at what Jesus is doing, and looking at what Jesus is commanding us to do, it's, a, it's not only a geographic thing, it's also a of influence. To your right, and across the street from the neighborhood that you live in, God designed that to happen. That to sink into you because of this fact. The last words of Jesus were, You to go to the place where I've placed you and proclaim the gospel. And and I want that to to weigh onto your mind. If you really want to be a part of something bigger than yourself, Jesus is calling you to it here, and He's saying, The place where I've put you, go and proclaim the gospel. And we'll talk about what it means to proclaim the gospel. So your sphere of influence in your neighborhood, God has placed you in the job that he has placed you, intentionally. God is gravitating people towards you and you towards them. The gospel. Your house, your neighborhood, your job, your coworkers, their circumstances. Jesus here, the last words that he says, Go into the places where I've put you. Gospel. You want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Here it is. Here's our chance. This is the thing that gives me great encouragement for who we are and what we are. It gives me great discouragement that we need to be in these places. Us apart for many purposes. As the next series that we'll get into in a few weeks is about the church, Dave's kind of outlining out where we're going to go. But a, the big part of what we're we're going to talk about is how to set us apart from community with each other, God to set us apart from community with Him, and God to set us apart to proclaim the gospel here and where we are. So this message here tonight to proclaim the gospel in all the world is comes at a good time with the the series that we're moving into. But understand that fact, that God has placed you where you are for a purpose and for a, a reason. Uh, one of the things also that I want to begin to talk about, throw that, that image up with Dave and Kelly and Anthony. Uh, you guys might, may or may not know these people. This is uh, Kelly and Dave and their uh, newly adopted son, Anthony. Uh, they are missionaries in uh, Southeast Asia. They've been there for a little over a year or so now, and uh, before they left, they came and spent uh, about a month with us coming here to North Church, um, and uh, we support them through prayer. A lot of you are a part of their uh, their email prayer list, and if you're not, let me know, and I can hook you up and get you part of that. They send out uh, probably about once a week or so uh, email prayers for them and the team that they're with, basically struggling with trying to learn the language, and they're getting close, and every, every week you, you hear of a new relationship that God has brought into their, their lives and to begin to connect with. And so this is our opportunity to serve those who are proclaiming the gospel far away from us. And here's the other thing. Some of you guys have mentioned in the past, and we've talked about in the past, of one, two, three, five, whatever, of us going to help them. And that's going to serve two purposes if, if that's able to happen. One that's going to allow us to help them. They're in need of help to begin new relationships. And they are, have, have gotten into their relationships, but there's new freshness that are, that are there for a week or two weeks or something can go and begin to, to build new bridges or open up new avenues for them to be able to, to share this gospel, to proclaim this gospel. But more than that, I think, is for us, somebody, a couple of us to go be with them for a week and see what they're doing and, and connecting with what they're doing and come back and report to us, okay, here's what's happening on a daily basis with them, and here's the things that they really struggle with. Here's the, the, things, the hurdles that they have. Let's pray for them in these ways. It's an opportunity for us to understand and pray better and connect, commune with them better about what they're doing. And here's the other thing with them. You, you may not know them deeply. You may not know them well at all. You may not even know that, that we have any kind of support of them or, or, and them with us. But circumstances happened with them that the, it was a long process for them to, to finally get their call and their, their placement to go to this place where they are and, and all that. But ultimately, they called this body their church home. And we want to continue to support them. And they've been there for about a year and a half. And sometimes these sort of loose connections can, can completely disconnect. But I really want to begin to ask you guys, to pray through, going, to to visit them, to connect with them, to help us learn how to pray with them, uh, maybe this summer, maybe this fall, maybe even the, this spring. And uh, I've been in communication with a guy that's stateside that can help to send us over there and, and understand what the costs are going to be. But I want all of us to begin to pray. Is is God calling us to go and connect with them to help to proclaim this message in China. So pray through that, and I know uh, specifically a couple of you have talked very specifically about wanting to go, and I'm going to be connecting with you in the next week or so to begin to to talk through what this is going to look like and and how quickly we can make it happen and costs and and all that stuff and uh, what we can actually do for them. So that's Dave and Kelly Harry, and that's one way where we are connecting this Proclaim the Gospel in all the world. So let's look at this phrase, Proclaim the gospel. Again, something that is being a part of something that is bigger than us. I want to look closely at two words. First, this word, proclaim. Proclaim the gospel. That's the Greek word, "caruso," which basically means this. To proclaim after the manner of a herald, meaning speaking it out, boldly speaking it out and acting it out, always with a suggestion of formality gravity, and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. In other words, this is a really important message. Pay attention. That's what a, a herald would have done. This is what this Caruso word means, to proclaim something that's really important. Proclaim it in such a way as so that people will know the gravity and authority and formality of, of what it is that's coming from my mouth and coming from my actions. The second definition there is to publish, proclaim openly something which has been done. I want to combat something. There's a phrase that goes around church culture that says, uh, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. You guys heard that before? Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Let me tell you that that's nonsense in the light of this word caruso. Uh, This word caruso, to proclaim the gospel, is to speak it from your mouth. Not just an action thing. Not just, hey, I'm going to live a good life and I'm going to be nice to my neighbors and then maybe someday somebody's going to come to me and ask me why I live the way I do. Well, that's good and, and great and whatever and a cute slogan to put on a bumper sticker and put on a pen and sell them in a Bible bookstore. It's not what scripture, what Jesus is telling us to do to actually go and to proclaim this message, to proclaim the gospel in a formal way, to speak this truth. God came in our place so that we didn't have to die, so that we could have a relationship with him because God was going to come and restore and redeem this world and this life. That's the gospel, and that's what Jesus meant for us to go and proclaim, not just living a good life full of morals and treating your wife well in public. It's not what Jesus meant at all when he said this, to go and proclaim the gospel. The second word for us to look at is this word, gospel. And one of the things that you, you hear me talk about a whole lot is this gospel, to understand and apply the gospel in every situation. And, and I use a, a Keller definition of the gospel. We are more sinful than we ever imagined that we were, and we are more accepted than we ever hoped that we are. That's the gospel. But here This Greek word definition of the gospel is more than that. That's like the first half of it. The second half is is this. This word is euangelion. The gospel, the Greek word is a word euangelion. The glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the the context is here and the depth of this word. Again, the Greek language has about ten times as many words as the English language does. It is a word picture language. It's our the English language is the skeleton, the, the Greek language is the whole body, the muscles, the skin, the hair, the everything, the cells, all that stuff that make up the human body. That, that's the sort of relationship between the English to the Greek. And the depth of this word means that to proclaim the gospel means that you are agents of the kingdom of God. i want to say that again. We are agents of the kingdom of God. To proclaim the gospel means that you are an agent of, of establishing the kingdom of God, to go and proclaim this kingdom. And what do I mean when I say this kingdom of God? It's a huge thing. God is about establishing his kingdom. That's why Christ came. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the the fracture to this kingdom of God began to happen, and Jesus came to reestablish, to restore, to redeem this kingdom. And it's, it's a huge and massive thing. We are, we've been praying for two weeks for Megan Moss. She's got heart issues. She's in the hospital waiting a heart transplant because of a virus that attacked her heart 10 years ago or eight years ago, whatever it was. That's a disease that was in the world that attacked her heart and now her heart doesn't work and it, it doesn't output like it's supposed to, to output. That's a result of the fracture. That restoration and redemption is what we are agents of. Pain and illness and the need for heart transplants will be gone. And we are agents of that. That's what we proclaim. We go and we proclaim the gospel that one day a time is coming when there will be no more disease, there will be no more pain, there will be no more difficulty, there will be no more broken relationships. We prayed tonight about some some people that we had prayer gathering here tonight in this room at 4 o'clock, and we pray tonight about some, some people that are wrestling with broken relationships. Difficult, difficult times. There are broken relationships in my life. Probably, you probably don't have to look too far outside of your family or your friends to see broken relationships. There's broken relationships everywhere. That will be a thing of the past because Jesus is about restoration, this is about redemption. Jesus is about reconciliation, bringing things together. That's what this kingdom of God is. And when Jesus says, Go and proclaim the gospel, he's saying, Go and proclaim the fact that you were sinners and now you've been made right to stand before God and to have a perfect relationship with God. But more than that, proclaim that I have come to bring this kingdom of God. We have supported Haiti. We've sold the t shirts and we've, we've we, we offered, we had a chance to give. Uh, a month or so ago, to give money to churches helping churches in Haiti because of the earthquakes that happened. And then earthquakes, it seems like a week or so, a different natural disaster has happened to to destroy part of this world, part of the fracture, part of the thing that God can restore and to redeem. And we are agents of that. Listen up, people. There's pain, there's death, there's everywhere. And there's tragedy, there's natural disasters that, that hurt and destroy Broken relationships everywhere, but Jesus came to restore that, to bring this plan of redemption that we have perfect relationship with God, we have perfect relationship with man, and we have perfect relationship with the earth, the place that we live. That's what this kingdom of God is about, and our job, the last thing that Jesus said on this planet was, go and proclaim this gospel. This gospel that I fully accept you, even as a sinner, and I am coming to restore and redeem this world and this planet. So here we are, his agents, gathered together. And that's what, that's what church is. That's what church is about, to go and be set apart, to gather together, to be equipped, to understand, to have and build a relationship so that we can go out into this world and proclaim this message I said at the beginning, the overarching theme of this message, to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And that is what Jesus has called us to, and is what I am trying to call us all to. To bring us together to understand that our priority, our single priority, is to go and proclaim this gospel message to this Jerusalem that there is brokenness and there is pain and there is hate and there is tragedy, but Jesus came to restore and redeem it and to live life up close with people, bringing this sort of restoration. The pain, the injustice, the tragedy that's around this world, we are the agents of God to bring the kingdom to this area. And that is something massive and bigger than us. But God has brought us all together together God has connected your heart with this place, small as we are, to be those agents of change here, to bring this kingdom here, to share what God has done and redeemed and restored in our lives here on this planet, in this earth, in this place. A simple, simple phrase that's on the screen. Go into the world and proclaim the gospel. Go into the world and proclaim the gospel the gospel. Write it down, put it on your mirror, put it on your car, burn it into your brain. This is the the last words of Jesus to your life. And there's a desperate longing in your heart that I don't have to tell you about. You want to be a part of something bigger than yourself, here it is. And it's from the mouth of Christ, minutes before he ascended into heaven. Go into the world and proclaim the gospel. Proclaim restoration, proclaim redemption. That's the message of Jesus. It's the message of our lives is the purpose of our existence, the priority of our existence, to proclaim this message of the kingdom of God. I'm short tonight intentionally so that we can leave ourselves with this mind, with this understanding, for us to connect with this. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that you have persevered the words of your son Jesus to blow up like dynamite in our hearts, Father. Go into the world and proclaim the gospel. God, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for everyone that that hears this message, that reads those words, God, that you would burn images of people that you have brought into our lives to proclaim the gospel to, Father. Proclaim this message of the kingdom of redemption. God, I thank you for that peace in our souls that is begging to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, God. I pray that you would connect our minds with that spot in our soul, Father, and it would move us to action, that thing we're desperately wanting to be a part of that's bigger than ourselves, you are making here in this place. God, draw our hearts to that. And Lord, burn images of, of people into our minds to proclaim this message to you. And God, may we be bold and actually proclaim this message with our mouth not just be comfortable sissies, Father, trying to live good moral lives so that people will pay attention to us. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for the three years that you've allowed us to have together, Father. And I thank you for the time that's to come as we proclaim this message. Guide us now as we respond to what you've done. Move us to be moved, Father. I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.